they clone Tyrone, undaunted Battle of Britain, and Marcel the Shell with shoes on. This is staying in. I had, well, I didn't have. My son had his third birthday party the other day. And by that, I mean, he's been to many birthday parties, but it was his, it was a party to celebrate his third birthday. I think we, I think we understood what you meant, Sam. <laughs> no, nobody's counting. No one's saying, well, this was his 17th birthday party. Okay, sorry. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so third birthday party, yes. So, third birthday, yeah. So he's, he's, he's had a few now under his belt that he can start to compare them. He knows what he wants. Yeah, he knows what, to, he, knows what he wants, but he knows what he, to expect as well. Um, but the, the reason I bring this up is um, of a very specific moment with my father-in-law. <laughs> um, so we'll get in the hall set up. We, um, and um, the, the the people that we hired to do the entertainment, which top tip, if you've got a spare couple of hundred quid lying around, that's one way to get your child a solid twelve hours sleep. Um, it's worth every penny. It's worth every penny. And so they turned up, and they were they were like setting up. They had this like this little stage area with like a, a big bubble machine, and they were they were like playing music essentially uh, for the first sort of bit as all the kids started to enter into the room mm-hmm. and we'd blown up like loads of balloons and then like basically like 15, 16, three-year-olds um, started piling into the room and it was absolute bedlam before we'd even begun like the yeah. Disney songs yeah. were playing, the balloons were popping, fighting, crying, whatever. I look over to my left and see my father-in-law standing there, uh, hands on his hips and he just slowly reaches up towards his hearing aid and I just see him like click <laughs> off yeah. and then he looks at me and I look at him and all I think is what a guy yeah <laughs> and he just stands there in bliss like it's the last it's like the last days of Rome <laughs> yeah but he just he, I just like I couldn't admire the man more that he's just sitting there in blissful silence just like watching this scene unfold <laughs> what's the music that plays during Platoon you know the one that's is Adagio <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, as someone who's just uh, was someone who's just celebrated his son's sixth birthday, um, and it was we've always been able to avoid kind of the big parties, but he like he wanted one this year. And he's like the oldest in his his year, so this was like his first big all all class party with like thirty of the children. The bedlam doesn't end; it just gets worse. So, good luck. Hopefully, I don't think I don't think he enjoyed it as much. He, I don't think I think he saw the bedlam this time. Oh, like the Great Gatsby. He saw the bedlam. You got PTSD yeah. from his birthday party. Do you still do party bags? Is that still um, a thing? Yeah, that that's still yes. a thing. Or is it just like they get each kid gets a QR code or something? No, you'll get yeah. You you do the classic kind of everybody gets a party bag. Uh, I think party bags now were very different to when we had it. When we had it, I think it was literally like. You got a piece of cake and that was it. Whereas now it has to be the cake, but you also have to have sweets and a little activity, maybe a little toy. Maybe there's so much stuff that goes into it. So you end up with like, okay, we've got a pencil, there's a bouncy ball, there's a, like a little sweet, there's your piece of cake, there's all this different stuff. It's very different to when we were young. Right. I think I think that was what I got when I was younger. Yeah, I think I remember having that. I, th- I think kids. I just would get like, you'd get like a little bag with a piece of cake in it. I remember those little. It would be plastic. Now they're all paper, yeah. which is great. We're getting, we're we're moving on. Uh, but I remember the little plastic bags. Yep. you'd get in there, 
like a fun-sized fun fun-sized Mars bar. You get one of those little tiny circles with a little metal ball in it, which would be yes, a little, little maze. Little maze. Do that. Uh, maybe get a little coloring book with a few crayons. Well, that was quite popular. A little bit of cake. Yeah. So not too dissimilar to what Hugo was giving out. Maybe I was just in a really deprived area where it was yeah. just cake and nothing. Sam, Sam's birthday party are like he'd just been to the Oscars. <laughs> you know, they get that little bag. Yeah. A fossil watch. Yeah. Every time there's a new guest, it'd be announced. <laughs> Didn't go to parties, he went to soirees. <laughs> it's his third soiree. But did you have fun, Sam? Because um, I know your father-in-law uh, did, but you, you, what, what was your equivalent of turning the uh, Bluetooth <laughs> hearing aid down to no volume? <clears throat> I think it's just uh, letting the entertainers just do their job. Just, just let them, you know, do it. There, we're, we're paying them the money. Let them, let them entertain. Yeah. And how was Pete? <laughs> Stoic as usual. Sure. I think he laid down. You know, he told them. He, he, he made them the realize a lot in life <laughs> uh yeah yeah i did enjoy it for, mo- for for the most part it was you know i feel like it's difficult watching a young child of yours in a social situation because you re- you know so much about like what they are what they're going through and what is kind of happening around them but you can't ever really communicate to that that to them which it sounds like a really weird concept but like for example like my son he really wants to be one of the cool kids like he there's like a a small band of people that he goes to nursery with like his dad (laughs) who are like they're like the cool kids and they're like proper like rough and tumble yeah and they were like they were doing the hokey cokey but they're all hot but they were holding hands the whole time and they were like falling over each other and laughing and my son was always like trying to like he was there and he was like standing there trying to grab one of their hands to join into the fun and he was like standing there like laughing and I could just see him getting more and more like upset because they wouldn't hold his hand and it was just like <laughs> so I just have to all you, all you can do is just stand there and watch there you can't just go over to him it's like being in nature you can't intervene you just yeah. have to let it <laughs> yeah. let it, it play it's, out it's just that. like being a, a nature documentarian oh, man. and you have that ethical quandary that is because I think you saying that's really interesting because I never liked big parties. I'd never host parties because I think unconsciously I was always worried that no one would come. So I just never had them. I think as a kid, I just was worried about that really. So I totally get that. Um, (laughs) From that point of view, it's difficult. But the fact he slept for 12 hours, um, got a bunch of new toys, is pretty much Christmas day for him. When we were opening kind of his presents, he did open them all. You do start to get me like, okay, yeah, we can save that one for something else. All right, we can re-gift that one to someone else. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's like, he, there are so many here that he doesn't, he doesn't know what the stuff he's got. But then you look at it like, actually, these are like really good activity pre- presents. They're like, this this is a Sunday <laughs> afternoon jobby. I can, I can lie on the sofa and yeah, you can this, do this one. Yeah, this is, this is great. We can just give it to this. By the, after a couple yeah. of weeks, you'll forget how he got this gift and we'll just pull it out as something new that we've got him. And just like, oh, look at this new thing that Daddy's bought you. <laughs> Isn't Daddy great? <laughs> um, I have discovered something that's changed the way I sleep for the better. Oh, okay. Um, I spent it... a little bit 
Um, I spoke to you about it, Sam, a little bit. Oh. Is it your own Spotify playlist? No. Two words. Okay. Deep Heat. Oh, okay. Hmm. Uh, you're, you're, do I you're right to, know to uh, you're right to frown there, Dan, because obviously I've not provided any context. You don't know where I'm applying it. You don't know when I'm applying it. Exactly. You don't know why I'm applying it. Well, I hope you're applying it before you go to bed. There are so many unknowns here, and none of them in my mind are positive. So, um, I dream quite a lot. Um, I'd say I probably have about four or five dreams a night. Okay. And but my 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 partner knows when i've been dreaming because she says that when i am in like a real deep dreaming state i i curl up into a ball because she calls it the chrysalis which i know we've used for something else yeah um i curl up into a ball and it means sometimes i wake up with quite bad back pain because <laughs> i have been in this dream kind of like hunched over like this and uh I wake up with quite bad back pain and add to that then I have to sit in a car for an hour to the office and like my back just sounds like bubble wrap when I'm kind of moving around. Sorry, can we go back to the ball? Yeah. <laughs> because I feel like as someone who has shared a bed with you. Several times. I've never encountered the chrysalis. No, you haven't. And 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 so what I want to know is, um, are you fully under the covers? Or is your head still? No, yeah, I, I go under the covers, so she'll look round, and my head is just going underneath the duvet. When when your partner wakes up, yeah, is your it is your back touching the top of the duvet, or or is it like, the, or are you vertical or horizontal? I guess vertical. Um, I am. You, are I, you I sat am, up? <laughs> roll just rolling around. I am so like I a think weeble. Usually, I have. Yeah, I think, yeah. So I'm I'm curled up. So if you imagine, like, looking at my bed from above, imagine, like, the letter C. Okay. That's me. That's the chrysalis. I've never in... known anyone who needs a V pillow more than you, Chris Darby, but go on. Yeah. Oh, don't get me started on pillows. But the deep heat's really good. A little bit of that <laughs> on the back of the neck. I don't do it every night. I'm not made of money. Um, but occasionally, when I think, oh, I'm going to dream a lot tonight, on it goes... <laughs> Um, Sam, you and I went to a gig the other day. Oh, yeah, we did. In fact, the same night as um, my son's third birthday party. That was a journey, I tell you. That was a hell of a day for you, wasn't it? Um, I think the last time you and I went to a music gig was probably Munich when we had that impromptu festival. Yeah, the music festival. Not us personally. We attended no. an impromptu no. festival. That's just, if we're going to, if yeah. we're going to, yeah, make that clear. If we're going to be pedant pedants th throughout this episode let's at least be uh, consistent yeah um yeah we did and um it was great i was slightly peeved really because i'd r like rushed like mad to get into manchester in time for when the gig was supposed to start as per the ticket yes which included me visiting uh burgerism which is an incredible burger joint i'm gonna have to take you guys next time you're you're up um, and I was driving into Manchester, slamming down a burger and chips. Yeah. Only to get to the venue with five minutes to spare to learn that the band weren't actually going to be on for another hour and a half. Um, so just needn't have bothered. Yeah, that was a bit funny. And it was a Sunday night as well. Sunday night gig. Oh, that yeah. did bother me. That's fine. That bothers me. 
Um, but it was good. It was, it was a cinematic orchestra. It's the 20th anniversary of their, one of my favorite albums of all time, which you introduced me to, Sam, years yeah. ago. We were at uni, a man with a movie camera, um, which it was an interesting gig because um, very much like the original tour of it, um, it has a kind of a filmic element to it because it, it, it's it, the cinematic orchestra's strap line is they make soundtracks of films that don't exist. Um, broadly speaking and well yeah this is this is a film that did exist but yeah but this one was obviously a re they did their own soundtrack for a film that did exist which was um, one of the earliest films and they played snippets of it that they'd kind of were kind of live editing interspliced with live footage of the theater and the venue sorry and also at the end when they came on and played their final song the camera turned to face us in the audience and it was kind of moving through the crowd just seeing people's faces on the screen that was brilliant um, that was really cool i love that it's a really cool album and it's I, I don't think i've really it's been a while since i've seen a, um, a band perform when it's just one album yeah i've it. never i never um never experienced that either and i actually really really enjoyed it because I think that it's very rare that as an album that you enjoy all the way through. I think I think there's only a couple of albums that I can that I can think of that I will, you know, that I will sit and listen through from start to finish and enjoy every single track. So it's quite nice to yeah. go and see a band like play it all and put it into some sort of context and some sort of understanding of how the tracks are put together. Man with the Movie Camera is quite an interesting experiment because I actually didn't like the whole album to start with until I watched it with the film yeah, as the accompaniment to the film, and then it made sense. Uh, and then since then, I've enjoyed the album as a whole. But um, no, I'd love to do like I'd love to do more of that. I think the next I think the next big gig I'd like to go and see is I'd like to go and see a live film accompaniment. Yes, like the Lord of the Rings ones for me would be pretty good. I'd love that. Um, yeah, I'd love to go and see like a Hans Zimmer or um, something like that. Like, obviously, we've spoken about Dear Esther Live on the pod. I'm still hoping they'll do it at some point. Everybody's gone to the rapture. Although I think maybe the pandemic has killed that. We'll see. So, um, obviously, at time of recording, our colleague Pete is celebrating his birthday today. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday, but usually we would have sung happy birthday, but I, I think, think he knows has... that fact, which is why he's not here. So I, I hope he's had a lovely day. I hope he's been spoiled rotten. I'm sure he has been. Um, and hopefully we'll try and see him soon. But I think we're in a unique position because usually what happens is when one of us wants to talk about a film, we can guarantee that Pete hasn't seen it. And what yep. usually happens is that we say, okay, Pete, the title's this. Guess what you think the film's about? And then we recount the plots and see Pete's reaction. And generally speaking, we're also trying to kind of like convey the experience of seeing that film to other people in the space. But we're in an interesting position because all of us have seen They Clone Tyrone, which yeah. dropped on Netflix during the summer. It was kind of eclipsed by Barbie. And Oppenheimer. Um, it's on Netflix. Um, so it was a little bit of a sleeper. 
I think also perhaps the fact that it is a director debut. Um, so it's not as a kind of a prominent director. So it's directed by Joel Taylor. Um, and Sam and I have spoken briefly about this, the film. I'm very curious to know what you made of it, Dan. Because I know Sam's thoughts to, to a degree. Um, do you want to recount, I mean, do you want to, what's the film about, Dan, for listeners? Because obviously Pete's not here. Imagine Pete's here. He's, eating, he's probably eating his birthday cake right now. And if you were to call him up and say, Pete, stop that. Listen, listen up. Stop that. Um, um, so yeah, so it's a a film in the kind of the idea of the the old black exploitation kind of genre of film. Um, not isn't which is not a genre that I'm kind of familiar. I've not seen a lot of really that stuff. I might have kind of seen bits and pieces, but I wouldn't say that I'm in any way kind of au fait with with those kind of films. Um, so the idea of the film is it stars uh, primarily John Boyega. Um, Jamie Foxx and Tiona Paris. Um, John Boyega is a drug dealer in kind of a, a ghetto-style area called the Glen. And it starts off with him arguing with kind of other people around his turf. And then he goes to uh, see some people about getting money from them. And then as he's doing that, um, one of the kind of his rivals on the street um, attack him and and kill him. So he, so he does. And this all happens very, very early on. Um, but the next thing you see is he wakes up and he doesn't remember what's happened. And so at first you kind of think, okay, is it like a, a reset thing and he's going to have to go through again? But then as you go, as the story pro- progresses, we, we see Jamie Foxx, who he had seen the night before. He's like, I saw you die. And so actually that did happen. And so they're trying to then try to investigate it. And it turns out, and I can say this because it's in the title, um, the the kind of the clones of certain people have been made and so suddenly becomes this what started off as a drama of kind of of that ghetto area becomes this weird kind of sci-fi fable and sci-fi is often used to kind of deal with these big societal issues and for this it's it's not kind of shy about it this is all about kind of race and kind of the feelings between kind of black culture and white culture um, and how these kind of built in these types of areas. So I, d- I did say this. I'm, I was interested when you kind of put this forward um, because I really wasn't sure about it. I think the idea that it, it tries to put forward is really interesting. I think the performances across the board are really, really good. John, yeah. the, especially those those main three, the John Boyega, Tiana mm-hmm. Paris and Jamie Foxx are all really fantastic and they really play off well each, against each other. The characters are really nice and the characters are really quite well-rounded. Yep. And the whole kind of concept of what it's trying to do around using um, black people, using black culture as part of this way of control and all that kind of thing. What what I didn't realize, I didn't feel like the actual, the idea was executed particularly brilliantly. It felt a little bit on the nose um, I think it could have done with a little more subtlety. There are certain points where practically Basil exposition comes on screen and explains the plot. Yeah, you get yeah, you get that exposition done. You do get a bit of that. And what could what was a really nice idea, I felt kind of got a little bit weighed down by other things. And I was I was unsure how I felt about the use of stereotype in certain areas. So I kind of looked at um I did look at kind of afterwards uh, other kind of opinions on it and like especially more diverse opinions and seeing did they 
have those issues as well and some liked it some didn't so there was very much a a mixed bag of, of reactions to it so did did you guys have that same kind of yeah issues that i did or i'm interested to see what sam thinks because sam one of sam's criticisms um in lots of films we've talked about is you're not a big fan of tonal swings that aren't justified and I'm quite curious. This is this is this is addressing quite a few genres. There's comedy, there's drama. Yep, sci-fi. There's sci-fi, black exploitation. How do you feel? Do you feel it I mean it sounds like a bit like a film show, doesn't it? Now it's amazing when Pete's not here on his birthday. Bit of... I'm generally I thought of you, Sam, thinking about this in terms of tonal shifts. Mm. Mm. Yeah, a bit of horror as well. Mixed yeah, in. Yeah, a little bit. Um I mean I, I really liked it. I thought that biggest trick it does pull off is being is being quote unquote tonally all over the place but managing to somehow hold it together and I think one of the ways it does that is with its cast and with how sharp and well executed the writing is and also how well the world is put together and I think for me, that's one of the reasons why, especially early on in the film, the 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 use of stereotyping is so broad and comprehensive is for two reasons, I, I think. First of all, in order to explore and break down stereotypes, first the first thing you've really got to do is kind of put those stereotypes up on the screen. If you're going to satirise them and if you're going to examine them and their impact, you've got to display them for, for what they are and secondly I think the that presentation the overall presentation of the film from like the the fact that you know you are kind of for the first 10-15 minutes maybe even longer watching a very very a group of very stereotyped characters the fact that there's a film grain on the TV on the on the actual like image quality um, the fact that for quite a lot of the early parts of the film you're not actually sure of any time in terms of when it's taking place like it could be taking sure. place in the 1970s and yeah. it could be taking place in 2023 it's anachronistic it gives the film a really unsettling quality which adds to that for me added to that sci-fi element of it and added to that thriller and the horror aspects of it that it all felt so unreal and unnerving the fact that what we were presented with was such broad stereotypes of yeah of specific characters i mean so 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 that so that whole nature of it that whole being of it and that that presentation of it i think really helped it convey those different those different tones because from the outset it was just so seemed to be so confident in what it was trying to do that when it made those veers into sci-fi when it made those veers into comedy i was able i, I sort of trusted the confidence yeah. of the director yeah and it's interesting you say about the stereotypes because i think memory serves me correct stereotype the word stereotype comes from printing and it was to ensure that you had consistency with what you are printing would look exactly the same i think it's quite an interesting ironically when we're talking a film about that engages with cloning for example when you're cloning stereotypes and picking up what you were saying down yeah it does echo a lot of the black exploitation cinema of like that first 
part of the 70s where it's a kind of a response to the Black Power movement, but also a challenge to the stereotypical casting of black actors generally as either sidekicks or if you're a female, a kind of a female nanny that will look after white, rich, white um, people's <laughs> kids. Um, black exploitation cinema, a lot of it is around like sex, violence, and drugs, where the the protagonist would be like a pimp, for example, yeah. or a sex worker, and that obviously created a lot of you know, there's a lot of criticism. criticism kind of led to that being kind of overturned from like within the black community you know people in the black community and then you get like i think it's the 80s and 90s spike lee uh, do the right thing mm-hmm. um um coming out which is kind of as acting as a kind of a homage to the, that kind of genre and i never watched it but is, is it black dynamite yeah um yeah i didn't watch that film but like that that i think has echoes of that really and i find it very interesting that the three main characters are a sex worker a drug dealer and a pimp yeah a, a pimp incidentally who has probably one of the best character names of 2023 slick charles it- and <laughs> i love the the banter between him and yo-yo played by tiana paris so i think is phenomenal in this film yeah like she's great and the way in which as you say, Dan, it's engaging with this kind of Black Mirror-esque kind of world where a conspiracy has kind of lodged itself insidiously in um, uh, kind of all areas of Black culture in this neighbourhood. It's absolutely fascinating. I don't think it's it's a little bit wobbly in places midway, I'd say. Yeah. Um, which is quite telling because a lot of the black exploitation films of old were a lean 90 minutes in length. Again, a resistance to the quite longer films of like people like Hitchcock and stuff around that time, say, for example, or Kubrick. So I think it could have done with being a little bit shorter, but then I think there's some absolutely beautiful shots in this. The use of lighting is stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I generally laughed out loud. I generally found it funny. Yeah. Um, I really, really did. It's great. I, I, I think... The one film it made me actually think of most, and I've got to try and find where I can where I can watch it again, because I loved it when it came out, and I think it shares a lot of that same sort of theme going on in these in these movies. But for me, it was Attack the Block, not just because I felt like John Boyega, who's in both films, is incredible in both films and has the same sort of sort has the same sort of persona in terms of what was it i listened to an interview with the director and he said um basically what what he finds the most hilarious thing about this film is that the three people are the most incompetent people to handle such a thing but but they're also the most uniquely skilled people to handle such a such a big conspiracy and i think that attack the block has shares that same yeah that same outlook where you've just got these people who are the most inept people ever to handle an alien invasion and yet they're right in the middle of it and they adapt and they and they um and they learn and they and they deal with it using the skills that they've got they've got available to them um i love the title block when it came out one of the first um movies i bought on blu-ray actually Uh, on the on the subject of films with Pete and I here, why don't we kind of uh, double up? I want to submit. Yeah, let's take advantage. I want to submit a new entrance 
into our ever-growing list of things to watch that are just nice. Um, we we've had on the we've talked on the show before about certain TV shows or films that are kind of nice. Stuff like Jury Duty was really recent. That's just a nice show. Things like The Good Place, Ted Lasso, Only Murders in the Building, um, all kind of just nice things to watch. Um, and I want to submit a film which I think encapsulates that idea completely. Um, and it's a film called Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which the more I say it, the more lyrical that title sounds. And it's such a lovely thing to say. This is an A24 film, isn't it, Dan? It is, yeah. Which until about three days ago, I thought was the same as Annapurna. Um, but it's no. not. They just kind of do the same thing in two different environments. But yeah, so this is A24. Um, uh, directed and written by Dean Fleischer-Camp, um, who wrote it with uh, Jenny Slate, um, who also uh, voices the main character. Um, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is... Um, a film came out in 2021 I think um, so kind of like a stop motion live action animation um, it was nominated for the Oscar for, for best animated film um, based on a trilogy of short films that Dean Fleischer Camp and Jenny Slate made a good while ago now um, back in I think between 2010 and 2014 they made three of them and basically the film is a faux documentary about a guy called Dean played by the director and writer Dean Flesher Camp, um, who moves into an Airbnb following a breakup and finds living there a small one-inch shell called Marcel who lives there with his Nana Connie and he basically just decides to make a documentary about him. Um, so Marcel is, I say, a one-inch tall shell with feet and one eye. He's adorable. Um, lives there with his grandma who's voiced by Isabella Rossellini kind of with like a thick Italian accent Marcel voiced by Jenny Slate um Jenny Slate who's done various things the thing I know her best from and you guys won't but I'm sure people listening will the thing I know her best from is from Parks and Rec and she plays uh, the character Mona Lisa Saperstein who's the sister of Jean Ralphio now those names don't mean anything to you because you know what's Parks and Rec but they are truly kind of incredible characters and Mona Lisa um, is played by Jenny Slate um, so Marcel is hmm he's adorable um, he's naive but at times kind of wise and profound uh, he's silly but is constantly looking after his uh, Nana who is suffering from memory loss and he's very old now um, but above everything else he's just He's really excited about talking to the documentarian about kind of everything. So he's like a child who just wants to show you all his toys. So he's like, oh, come over here and this is where I sleep. And look over here, this is where I look out of the window. And this is this is the ball that I have and all this different stuff. And the opening kind of 10 minutes or so, you're introduced to this kind of notion about this small shell. And it's a weird, it's a weird idea. It's a very odd little film. But in that first, like, five, ten minutes, it is kind of joke after joke after joke after joke. And, like, me and my wife, we were crying with laughter. The first six minutes, you can actually get... There are online A24. There's, a, there's the opening six minutes of a clip there. And that's kind of the hook. And that's got some brilliant jokes in it. So the original shorts are all online as well. But so much of the, so the humour comes from 
this tiny little shell and the juxtaposition of him explaining what he likes to do when he's walking around the things that he uses like what does he use for his bed there's a wonderful moment where he's gonna leave the house and he has to go and search he decides he needs a helmet it's gonna be dangerous out there so i'm gonna need a helmet and he goes off rummaging in the different place and he comes back and the thing he's found is a like half a pistachio shell just sat on top of his head <laughs> and he's just kind of like yeah i'm i'm good to go now um these all this kind of stuff works brilliantly in in a short kind of those kind of three minute five minute things works brilliantly you stretch that yeah. out over a feature length film they <clears throat> get exhausted quite quickly so it is to the kind of the credit of the the, the writers and directors that they find a really nice balance and pace and rhythm to it that you still get all the jokes but the narrative kind of draws you in so it starts off just kind of with the documentary and then he starts to put some of these bits and pieces online and kind of like a couple of days later it's like oh my god i've had 84 views like 84 people have watched it this is amazing and then a few days later they wake up and like 22 million people have watched it and he's just gone completely viral um and that's the kind of the the notion then of what happens then when this tiny little shell who just lives alone with his nana in a in an airbnb by himself um they used to have a community around them but something has happened in the past where they got split up and so there's there's an element of loss there and it does deal with some serious issues like it'd be very easy to think of it as just just a little cute shell saying funny things and there's a lot of that in there if you ever remember the creature comforts tv show i was just thinking creature yes. comforts. that's what is what i was saying yeah it's very it's a very kind of similar notion of like the voice the voice and the action both feel very separate and exactly correct kind of thing so at the end of the day you're looking at this really obscure odd yeah. little thing but it, it just it just works it just works oddly enough and dan can who's this for is that when you're watching it do you feel that it's it's pitched at a particular yeah. age say for example or is it family fun i noticed you said you watched it with your wife but would this be suitable for your children as well i think i think it is it is family fun now my my wife often especially during the week um because she's a teacher she'll come home and we put the kids to bed and stuff and she's got to be up early in the morning so often she won't want to watch a film because it's a film can be these days the film is usually at least two hours long and so yeah. We don't tend to watch a lot of them, especially during the week. And I saw this and I was like, this is an hour and 20 minutes. That's all it is. It's short. Oh. It's not, it doesn't outstay its welcome. So I said, shall we watch this? And I tried to explain what it was. It was about a shell. I watched half of the trailer. There was a laugh out loud moment in the trailer. So I was like, yes, I want to watch this. Many said kind of like, yeah, we'll, wa we'll watch it. And kind of went through. It. It is absolute for the whole family. Probably there are a couple of elements, maybe for young children, um, purely because it does deal with some serious issues around mm. kind of breakups and relationships and loss and kind of characters who perhaps are coming towards the end of their life and stuff like that. And it's all done very sensitively and very kind of, it's 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 really lovely. And obviously everything you're doing is, is in this little secret world almost. It's all done kind of very, it's all very magical, the kind of the, the way it's done. Like magical realism. Yeah, but there are these, there are these kind of uh, narrative plot lines that go through it that some younger children might with other children who kind of can handle that that's fine i think it is a pg um so it's not kind of completely you but you're only talking about young children so you might have a conversation with a child afterwards but nothing they can't do 
everything else it's it's just lovely and you just find yourself sitting there with that smile on your face and like three quarters of the way through i was kind of without giving anything away i said to myself like if this doesn't work out in a specific way like <laughs> I, i'm i'm not gonna, i'm gonna hate this film because it's one of those things like i need this to end in a certain way i don't want them to twist it on me i need it to end happily ever after and all that stuff but it was just like it's it's not the easiest thing i don't think to find um i saw it because it came on to uh sky um and i i have the movie package on sky so it came on there and i saw it on there other than that i think you you would probably have to find it either rent it or buy it um but it was just such a lovely very odd very charming film that i just i'd recommend to anyone because it's just so lovely and there are there are so many times i mean we we talk about they clone tyrone and kind of the 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 ideas that that's bringing up and it's a complete antithesis of that because it's just lovely not that kind of having those serious issues in films is 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 any way bad it's not it's just it's the other end of the spectrum yeah it's not trying Mm. to do it's not trying to ask like those really important questions because that's not you don't always have to do that but it is about kind of just enjoying this little world and the the jokes i promise you the jokes are so funny you've convinced me dan i was i didn't know it was funny i know it looked it looks really sweet and really endearing I didn't know it was funny. Interestingly, um, Dean Flesher Camp and Jenny Slate, um, back when they were making the shorts, were together. They then got married and announced they were going to make a feature. They then got divorced, decided to continue with it. And it's interesting then that you've got kind of two story beats. One of kind of Marcel's previous owners, so to speak, breaking Mm. up and that causing a breakup of the community, as well as dean moving into this airbnb following a breakup and that's what's brought him there it's interesting um so it is interesting that that's kind of there's a kind of a meta element there of that in influencing the kind of the the storyline well chris we have got this weekend war boys in the diary what what you, um, how, which war, how many war boys have we done now so um hold on uh let me just check the old calendar i'm gonna guess war Bo- i'm guessing you're on war boy seven is it war boy seven or eight no it's it's not that i don't even think it's that much uh it's war boys oh no it is it's war boy seven wait there you go hold on what are we calling this one war boy seven colon um war boy seven re, re- back war boy seven trench foot trench foot yeah, and is it like Look, like it's like a code name or is it literal trench foot because we're going to be like in your garden um, yeah we're playing in the garden it's going to be you, you do know it's going to be 23 degrees this weekend I know all to all sunshine we're going to be we're, we're going to be living living it up um, we're going to be roasting uh, yeah so War Boy 7 this weekend so maybe we can um, we can have Marcel the shell yeah. the shoes on as a palate cleanser. Um, but but we did a little bit of a prologue to the, the theatre of war, didn't we, Sam? Yes, we did. We've 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 already dabbled in in some of the in some of the war warness. I think I've got the program. I think I've got the program sorted All for right. what we're going to play. I'm still decided on a on a few bit on a, on a few others, mainly because that means going up into the loft to get to get the games um but i think i've decided on on what we are going to play 
And I think one game that is going to make a feature, and this is something that we we have already started to dabble in, is the latest Undaunted game, which is called Undaunted Battle of Britain. Spoilers, you said this was your favourite in the series. Is that still it's, correct? It, I've, yeah, it is. I, I, it is my favourite of the series. So up until now, there's been three, well, 2.5 um, versions of Undaunted. It all started back in Normandy, and then there was Undaunted North Africa, and then there was Undaunted Reinforcements, which wasn't really a full title. It just kind of it enabled you to play the game solitaire and with four players instead of just the just the two, which is what the what the base game is. And now there's Undaunted Battle of Britain, and we've spoken about the games before, but it's worth just. Um, a brief overview of how the games work. So, um, strictly speaking, they're, they're two-player games. One one person is usually the the allies. The other person usually is the axis. Um, and what the game does is it blends deck building with um, strategy and. It has a really nice way of playing where you have this map out in front of you and it's always a modular map. You always get scenarios included with the game when you play. So, you know, we've worked our way through Normandy and North Africa. Yeah, for the campaigns. Each yeah. one is a different campaign that represents different moments within within, within those particular theatres of war. And so the maps are always these modular exciting vistas that you're playing up against with maybe obstacles in your way tiles that you need to explore and scout before you go into it but most of the game is driven through card play and card mechanics so on your turn you pick four cards from your deck and um, you use one of those cards to define who's going to go first or initiative and then on your turn you've only got three cards to play and that those cards might be something like, you know, uh, um, something like you know orders from the general, which will allow you to put more cards in your deck or allow you to move a specific squad, or it'll be um, a squad of so a specific squad of soldiers like the riflemen or the scouts, and you'll be able to move them or attack with them. And where the game is actually gets the most exciting is how it deals with death. Which, which is which is weird to say, but exciting. The cards, are, the cards are actually people. So, for example, in Undaunted Normandy, your deck that you're building is actually a deck of soldiers, and each card, if it represents a soldier in a squad, has a picture of that soldier and has a specific name of that soldier. So when you get hit by enemy fire, you have to take cards out of your deck and you're literally losing a soldier you're losing part of your squad and your your deck diminishes the more under attack that you that you get and things can really ratchet up in tension where you can get hit to a certain degree where you can't bring in any more soldiers of a specific type and therefore you 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 kind of then you're you're one step closer to losing this this battle and it really 
you know, for for a quote unquote board game, mm. it really hits home when when you finish. You look at all the cards that have been that are left on the table and outside out of your deck, and you see the faces looking back, looking up at you, and you kind of have this realization of loss and grief, and sort of that you know that a moment has happened, that a narrative has happened, and the Endaunted series really just wraps it all up really nicely and plays really well that you never really forget the fact that this is that this is war there's a really good job of that yeah so back to battle of britain and what this does differently is that we are no longer playing with soldiers um we are playing with vehicles similarly to north africa but we're now in planes um we're in nothing but planes. In later scenarios, there's some anti-aircraft gunfire and some balloons, but mainly it's dogfighting. And this, for me, is why I enjoy it the most because I think it's just the most exciting version of Undaunted. Yeah, and I think you said this, Chris, where as the on-the-ground versions of Undaunted feel a lot more like a a really tense turn-based like um game of cat and mouse where one person will move forward very very slowly another person will move forward very very slowly and another person will sort of move back yeah, and you're sort of waiting pensive. for the first yeah very pensive you're waiting for the first sort of team to take their go battle of britain you have no choice but to interact to engage on every single time you play and it does this through a very very easy and um um uh, very very simple mechanic and that's just the mechanic of moving and the fact that no matter what you do on your turn you have to move the aircraft the aircraft are always going forward they are always moving forward um, and for me it was just I I just loved that fact that I never really felt completely in control of what was going on in the battlefield. And that's quite scary because, not scary, yeah. obviously, but like it's unnerving and it's something I struggle with because I tend to be quite good at these kind of spatial puzzles. Like, I tend to. Well, be yeah, quite... I've never beaten you at an Undaunted game. But this one really um, was an interesting challenge. And, it, and as you say, just that idea that on your go you have to move at least once is very true to life in terms of thematically how this works because you can't just the plane can't just stop in midair hover and just turn no. on its axis it has to keep moving um so i found that a real challenge but it meant that like it has such a kind of propulsive pace to it and the game for me it went really quickly and who knows it's going to perhaps go a little bit slower with subsequent campaigns as we ease into <laughs> other things but like yeah. i was kind of irritated by the fact that suddenly the game ended and well, because you lost for the yeah, first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that. I think we all know that's the reason you were disappointed and annoyed. <laughs> I'm annoyed because the game has finished so yeah, fast. But, but we know now, don't we? We know now that you know. It's, it, there's no point asking me what I think of a game if I've just lost it. Give me two hours, yeah, and I'll give true. you my honest thoughts. Chris, I can hear. I can hear the tension in your voice still. Oh, I know, yeah. but no, I think it was just because I was having genuinely having so much fun with that puzzle because on each plane you've kind of got these little lines which tell you the directions in which they fire guns 
and Sam was playing the Allies, which had these huge kind of bombers that had gunners at the back and at, at, and at angles coming from the side. So it was yeah. this wonderful kind of puzzle of thinking, okay, I'm going to take a shot at him, but I'm going to try and then move into his blind spot. But hang on, no, because what happens if he plays that card now? He's going to move and I won't be in his blind spot anymore. So then I'm trying to think, yeah. well, hang on, no, he's just moved them now. What are the chances of him getting that card again and being able to move that plane again? And that's why Undaunted, and that's why I think this this deck builder with this kind of um, aerial kind of um, kind of aerial kind of battle simulation is such a wonderful match made in heaven, really. And and you know it's a tight board, you know it's it's, it's a tight mm -hmm. board. This let's be honest, um, and you can't stray off the board. So that adds adds its own little kind of puzzle to it, really. And you generally get this. You can stray off the board. We just never we, just oh, we never did it. Um, yeah. But I really like this puzzle of like. Okay, I, I, I've maneuvered my plane now. I'm, I've got him lined up beautifully. I need to make sure that he doesn't play a card that allows that plane to move, uh, or that I know that I'm going to be playing a card on my next go, which will be this this plane again. And it's it's like um, waiting for the planets to align. When they do, it is absolutely glorious. Yeah. When from out of nowhere you're suddenly behind <laughs> behind a plane and you're just like yeah but equally also it's heartbreaking when you're perfectly lined up and you don't play the right card because you're yes. you're you know and th there's this interesting mechanic in it Sam I've forgotten the name of it I do apologise where it's like you're kind of it's predicated on the pl your planes being close to each other so you can communicate with each other what's comms. that called comms yeah so this is an interesting wrinkle with this Dan. Because often in quite a lot of deck builders, as a kind of punishment to you, you're given a card that does nothing. It's just filler. It clogs up your deck. And there's a really lovely mechanic um, in Undaunted Battle of Britain where two planes of the same type, kind of in pairs, are encouraged to fly in formation with each other. Because what you can't do is do a nice little pincers move. You can't have two planes stray apart from each other too far because there are certain cards that once played are predicated on them being at least one space apart from each other. And <laughs> if you do anything with that card and then on next to each other, you take one of these cards that basically clogs your deck. So it's really lovely there because there are instances where Sam thought, sod it, I'm going to go rogue because that's exactly what the enemy won't be expecting. And he would just be clogging his deck up. Yeah, that sounds like something Sam would do. He was <laughs> clogging his deck up, whereas I was playing it at the rig of like, no, it's a deck builder. You want to streamline that deck so you are constantly recycling the cards you like. But then you realise, well, hang on, no, there's no point doing that if you've got no cards to um, to recycle because they're being killed Is off it? left, right, and centre. So that's such an interesting uh, wrinkle on this and it made me realize it's, it's very rare i think and maybe you can correct me on this sam where i think it is possible for someone to own every single undaunted game yeah i mean i do except for stalingrad we never not played we, that a lot of people like stalingrad i think that the reason why we've just never played that is that um uh just the time and the outlay to play a, a legacy version of version of one of these games is is a bit of a too much of an investment at this time but yeah, I feel like all three games, putting Stalingrad aside, are unique enough to be a, you know, provide a different proposition each time. Like, you know, if we want just a really pensive, strategical battle, then it's Normandy. If we want something that's got a bit of um, 
uh, got a bit of grandeur and um, has got uh, has got a bit of threat that we play in North Africa because that's got things like tanks and sabotage in it, and that's like a almost plays out more like a spy thriller than than Normandy does. And then Battle of Britain is just absolute like the macro to the evocative micro. yeah action um, above the skies of of France and um, France and Britain, and you know it's. I think it's just equal parts that frustration that you can't do the cool thing every turn, but when you do the cool thing and something pulls off or you just for some reason just accidentally just end up at the right space at the right time and you can like shoot a plane out of the sky. Like it, it just it just captures that that feeling exceptionally well. And um I think the the whole of the, the the mechanical structure just it just it just feels like this is just like the natural home of 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 what the game was meant to be like I just I think Battle of Britain is just by and far my favorite and just to kind of get the gauge of the room have you heard about the uh, the next game in the Undaunted series Chris oh uh, Trenchfoot Undaunted Trenchfoot no um and I don't know really know how I feel about this because I'm I'm not saying per se that I'm burnt out on the Undaunted series, but more that I just I just don't know where else they can take that core set of mechanics. Until recently, it was announced that the next Undaunted game is going to take place on the um, moon of Callisto in the year twenty twenty hundred twenty two hundred. Wow. I suppose it asks the question of how much of kind of undaunted the series, and it's probably kind of a, a wider question around kind of those games using those real life kind of situations, those real life events for that. So, for example, with Battle of Britain, like Is it? because you have that that event behind it. You, you have that kind of that vision of the planes and stuff like that. How much is that part of the game as opposed to just the mechanics? And so when you take it out of a known event, does are the mechanics strong enough that actually that doesn't matter? Or do those mechanics and the setting go hand in hand and they need both kind of legs of that in order to kind of, um, kind of hold itself up? I, I, I think... You make a really good point because one of the reasons why Undaunted has always been a staple of War Boys is because of that connection to um, um, that the connection to the theme and how it does that so well is by making every single card a precious resource by making every single person you put out on that battlefield feels precious and feels like you really got to make the most of them because they are a person and they are fighting for what they believe in and they are fighting you know they are putting their lives on their line for this you know doesn't you know really matter what they are believing in per se but you know they are believing in something and putting their life they're still a human being at the end of the end of the day however don't know how much that is going to translate to a sci-fi you know 23rd century 
Well, it becomes a completely different game then, doesn't it? Because you you don't you don't have that feeling behind it. Yeah. It's just cards then. But I think maybe they'll introduce maybe they'll introduce mechanics yeah. like the Dumb and Daughter Battle of Britain that are kind of very much more specific to that theme, like little tweaks on the format. Yeah, well, that's what I'm hoping for because because otherwise, for me, there's um, I don't know how well it will work because Undaunted works so well because you get really attached to the people that you are that you are fighting with. And in a sci-fi setting where you're playing with mechs, it doesn't feel like that's so much of a consideration. You know, if you're playing big sprawling battles across a moon, like I feel like losing John Simpson from Callisto B isn't gonna be isn't gonna impact as much as it does in the other Undaunted games. But, you know, I thought Battle of Britain was was maybe gonna be one game too many and I was completely and utterly wrong so watch this space so I've got a list here of what the Fast and Furious films were called um, or known as to Japanese audiences and uh, I wonder if Do I need to know Japanese for this no 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 it's all been it's all been translated um so I wondered if you two would like to guess what they are. I'll give you I'll give you the the name of what Fast and Furious is called in Japan. It's called okay. Wild Speed. Wild Speed. Okay, so this this is our foundational level. So that's the the first film was called Wild Speed. Okay. Fast and the Furious, two thousand and one in this country. Wild Speed in Japan. So now we go to two thousand three. Too Fast, Too Furious. Great film. Lots of neon. Uh, too Wild, Too Speed. I was going to go more wild, more speedy. Okay, Wild Speed X2. That's that one's called. Oh, yeah. Times um, two. Uh, three years. Well, the, the the veil of time passes by three years. The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Uh, wild Speed. Go two. on. It's got to be Tokyo. It's got to still be Tokyo. They, they can't have all the stuff. They can't drop the word Tokyo. <laughs> yes. Um, wild Speed Tokyo Sunrise. Wild Speed Tokyo Dreams. <laughs> wild Speed X3. Tokyo Drift. Okay. Um, then the Fast and the Furious films fall off a cliff in terms of naming conventions. So 2009, three years later, Fast and Furious. Wild and Speed. <laughs> Wild Speed X4. Wild oh. Speed. Wild Speed X4, Wild Speed. No, Wild Speed Max. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, uh, so Fast Five is the next one. Wild, 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 Wild. Five speed, <laughs> wild speed mega, wild speed mega max. That one. Jeez. Um, now a, a, a clue, a clue for the next one, two, three, four movies in the Fast and Furious franchise. So many Fast and Furious films. I've still not seen a single one of these. They're great. Oh, you've. Got, they are great. Um, if you've seen the movies, that will really help you in this next part. In part two of the. Of the game, okay. So I know Fast Five was the last one I saw. Fast and Furious Six, twenty thirteen. Okay, the only thing I know about that film was I had that really long chase with a plane on a runway. <laughs> so I'm going to say <laughs> like it's like a it's like a six mile runway. Um, I'm going to go Wild Speed X Six runway running. Chris looks lost. 
Yeah, I'm sorry, it just it sounded like a telegram from the 30s, Dan. Wild Speed Runway. Uh, wild, wild Speed Euro Mission. Uh, so Furious 7. We've, we've dropped we've dropped the fast. I think, I think this was the last one with Paul Walker. Was this the last so one with just, Paul Walker? I thought that was six. No, it wasn't six. Um, I, I'm going to go with... Um, okay, so Wild Speed, um, Family Forever. It's all about family, especially that film. If it was Paul Walker, Chris, uh, I, I think Chris is I, I just ready don't, for the deep. Given heat. the fact you said I need to have seen these films still to provide context to what they're called in Japan. Well, it's it's yeah, it's Wild Speed Sky Mission, of course, for a film that's about cars. Yes, yeah. Oh, it stopped being about cars around about three. Yeah, yeah. Um, here we go uh, Fast and Furious 8 which in our country was called The Fate of the Furious bit of a pun there bit um, um, Wild Speed uh, The Final Countdown <laughs> Speed Wild Wild Speed Ice Break now there have been two other like Wild Speed um, Fast and Furious 9 and Fast 10 um Aren't on here. I mean, Fast Ten, your seatbelts was was right there, guys. Um, but the last one I've got on this list is Fast and Furious presents Hobson Shaw, and this is my favourite one of the bunch, as well as Wild Speed Megamax. So think about the previous ones: Wild Speed Euro Mission, Wild Speed Sky Mission, Wild Speed Ice Break, and then along comes Fast and Furious presents Hobson Shaw. Uh, Wild Speed presents Burly Boys. <laughs> I mean, you're not far off. Big burly boys bashing bad guys. Laurel and Hardy. Wild speed. Wild speed. Laurel and Hardy. I don't know. It's wild speed. Super combo. I mean. It's like a Street Fighter game. Oh, God. Well, I was was close with big burly boys bashing bad guys. Yeah, it was. It was. um, It was risky. (laughs) Um, well there you go zero out of ten zero out of ten um if you'd like to uh come up with an alternative title for the staying in podcast so for example Mm -hmm. instead of staying in it could be burly men talk nerds um then (laughs) please 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 don't call us that (laughs) please don't we had none of those things um Please do send us an email stayinginpod at gmail.com. That's the one. Um, staying in pod, ideally, is where you're going to find us on Twitter, Instagram, Instagram more than anything, and uh, Facebook. And also, if you are looking for a board game recommendation or a video game recommendation and you are unable to listen to us directly, then feel free to go to Board Game Geek and Steam where you can find our curated pages and they contain a list of all the board games and all the video games uh, that we've spoken about um, up to including this show. Um, so it's always kept very up to date by our good friend Peter Willington. And I believe there's probably going to be two more additions to the Spotify playlist following Defo. this edition of the podcast, Chris. Yes, definitely. Look, There'll be some Yeah, stuff. there are some really nice... There are some really nice songs in the soundtrack to Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Yeah. Also, they clone Tyrone. It's got two 
albums. One is music that is inspired by, that inspired the film that's also in the film, and also one album is the score. And also, I'm going to chuck in some stuff from the cinematic orchestra as well. Oh, oh that's a that's a lovely idea. Incidentally, the, yeah. the Japanese for staying in is Ni Taizai. There we go. Um, thanks very much for listening. As you know, you you are the most important part of of this show. So thank you. Um, I think that'll do. I'll do.